This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Elon Musk has purchased Twitter, at least he's agreed to, the challenges he may face between maintaining a happy user base, happy advertisers, and driving profitability are significant. However, it's far from clear that the purchase poses some unique threat to a freewheeling internet, let alone democratic institutions. Cato's Will Duffield offers his thoughts. All right, we have gotten through, I think, at least the initial round of the hottest takes on Elon Musk buying Twitter. So in general, what what do you understand his goal to be? Well, he'd like to moderate Twitter more liberally. He's had numerous complaints as a Twitter user over the years about how the platform is run. And now that he's bought it, he can do something about what he's had issue with. Um, he's been worried about the Twitter algorithm, what it serves, the lack of user choice in that. Um, and more broadly, that Twitter is not as supportive of free speech as it used to be or as a raucous, global, open communications platform should be. And he'd like to bring it back in that direction. Well, a lot of uh, self-styled conservatives, I say that because the word conservative is currently in flux, um, but a lot of self-styled conservatives have, have pointed to Hunter Biden laptop as a key moment in Twitter history where the platform essentially fell down on uh, allowing a generally truthful story to move forward from a major American newspaper. I think that's a great example because while the platform did fall down, it fell down in overreacting to other past perceived failures. After 2016 and the Russians' 10 GOP account and other um, propaganda efforts on the platform, Twitter created a new policy prohibiting hacked materials and got very worried about when the Russians would strike next. Uh, this policy was first deployed against a stolen trove of police records the summer before the 2020 election, but not many people cared about that. However, when the new policy was applied to the Biden story at the New York Post right before the election, um, yes, it, it really rankled Republicans. I, I think it concerned a lot of people who hadn't seen or, or expected social media platforms to be gatekeepers of the press or the media, um, and that this, this represented a bridge too far in that respect. But ultimately, Twitter failed because it it overcorrected in attempting to mollify regulators, advertisers, and power users concerned about the platform's uh, use by foreign propagandists. So uh, before we started recording, you, you suggested that profitability is going to be potentially a key constraint, uh, which, you know, as it is for any business, you hope, uh, in Elon Musk's attempt to reshape Twitter as a free speech platform or one that embodies uh, something closer to the First Amendment. Indeed. So these policies that Musk sees as, as restrictive of speech, overly restrictive, 
were implemented to make the platform more attractive to advertisers and more profitable. And while he'd like to roll them back, if that renders the platform less profitable, he'll have a problem because both the platform and Musk personally have taken on billions of dollars in debt in order to purchase Twitter. So to service that debt, the platform will need to be revenue positive and maybe even make more money than it has in the past. And so what does that look like? Uh, Because I I know that one of the uh, things that you and I have discussed a number of times is content moderation at scale is hard and is expensive. Indeed. I think if Twitter or Twitter under Musk wants to do less of that, then it will have to find other sources of revenue or ways of allowing advertisers and users to control their experience such that maintaining fewer rules at the platform level doesn't turn off Kraft Foods or Walt Disney or Snickers. What do you make of the reaction from major news outlets that or at least opinion writers at big news outlets, that this is potentially a very dangerous thing. And it, it, it's almost, if you take a lot of their comments at face value, it almost seems as if they view dictatorial control over a speech platform as akin to some sort of government-led authoritarianism. Well, I I think you hear a lot of that. I think you hear a lot of anxiety about how a freer Twitter can exist alongside democracy, which seems incredibly overheated. If, If anything, democracy requires strong feedback loops, even if what people say to politicians or the leaders of institutions on Twitter isn't always nice or supportive. Uh, this kind of feedback reveals that there's a disconnect, a misunderstanding, or a disagreement as to values or goals um, between members of, of society that without this sort of freewheeling egalitarian platform would otherwise never come to light. Um, so while you might see free and open communication as placing stresses on, on democracy, um, it really just requires that democracy live up to its promises and, and values rather than plastering over the cracks. There are other ways that speech platforms moderate content. The Reddit model largely is self-regulating to a point that is you can form a group on Reddit and there are moderators of those groups. And if certain groups get out of control uh, or are not moderated to the satisfaction of Reddit, they'll just get rid of that group. Yes, and because Reddit has been built on what was once an an open source piece of software, some of these banned subreddits or groups have just built their own sort of clone Reddit subsites that just host their subreddit, and they've moved off the platform elsewhere. Now, we could certainly imagine Twitter going in a similar direction, either giving users more controls over who can reply to their their threads, um, to moderate spaces and other live events, um, more of themselves, or indeed decentralizing 
Twitter, making it architecturally more like Reddit or, or even more so. And in this scenario, instead of relying upon Twitter itself to make all of the decisions about political misinformation or what constitutes hate speech, Twitter might allow users to select between different third-party clients that would access an underlying feed of tweets controlled by Twitter. And then different users with different preferences could pick clients and algorithms that best suited their needs, and others could pick clients with different strategies and approaches to what they highlighted or hit. I always like the idea on Twitter of being able to subscribe to a friend's block list, which seems similar. See, see more of that and even uh, better incorporation of third-party apps intended to provide greater blocking functionality. There's something called Block Party out there now, which has been sort of slowly growing and uh, might be the sort of thing that a Twitter under Musk turns to in order to alleviate um, expectations of its own moderation. There are people like Senator Ed Markey who have referred to this as a problem. Elon Musk buying Twitter is a big problem. And he used the phrase, which, which as, as I've noted elsewhere, uh, self-regulation has failed. And that pretty much always means that lawmakers, whatever the uh, substantive problem, uh, want to regulate and are willing to point to any number of problems that may or may not exist in order to do so. Well, I don't know. He sounds like a protectionist criticizing an alternative regulatory regime. Um, Twitter wasn't uh, performing up to this, the standard that Musk and seemingly a majority of its board or, or shareholders now thought it could. And so its, its ownership has been or is being transferred from the previous set to, to Musk. And that's a corrective process in its own right. Um, it's responding to perhaps not Markey's complaints about the platform, but complaints voiced by Musk and many others over the past couple of years. And for him to uh, step in and, and try to call time um, as that happens just, uh, well, seems sort of unfair and uh, and like a poor loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, almost, it's almost like he's concerned that the, the platform will succeed now. <laughs> yes, or, or um, present an, an alternative to perhaps the direction other platforms have taken at the behest of uh, regulators or, or representatives like Markey. Yeah, one of the things that you pointed to, and I think this is important for people who might be sympathetic to the idea that government regulation is an answer to problems associated with social media, uh, Twitter has to keep users satisfied broadly in order to have a functioning platform where there's a lot of people exchanging a lot of different information and advertisers, like as you mentioned, Kraft and Disney, uh, who just want to get their message to people, don't really uh, care about what is is said, except to the extent that it harms their business. Yes, I, I think that's that's certainly true, and that's you know in a way a check on Musk's ambitions potentially, um, unless he's going to pony up a billion for himself and a billion for Twitter every year, he can't run it into the ground, um, and so he has to be 
cognizant to an extent of how broader society, or at least Twitter power users, are reacting to the changes that he makes. A few years ago, Virginia Postrel, uh, one of my favorite writers, suggested, hey, penny a tweet or something, something along those lines, which is like you get, you get a budget as a Twitter user, and beyond that, you're going to have to pay some amount of money. That would seem to be something that would potentially mute the effect of dissatisfied advertisers. It, it certainly could allow Musk to pick a different set of users to keep satisfied, um, but he would then need to retain those paying customers. Um, while I don't think, uh, you know, you or, or I, or maybe, maybe we would, maybe we'd, Cato would, would pay for our tweets. Um, but we can certainly imagine, uh, not mine. They brands wouldn't for, they wouldn't and, pay for uh, my, Cato would not pay for my tweets. Well, sp- speak for yourself. I don't know. Get better tweets. Um, <laughs> one can imagine fortune 500 companies spending tens or even $100,000 a year just for access to the platform because it's expected. Who are you if, if you aren't on Twitter, um, if you're a firm of that scale? Um, so while the everyday user might not be willing to pay for tweets, we can certainly imagine groups or constituencies who would. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.